What a great video. What a great uh, series. You guys doing good this morning? Yeah. Awesome. I'm uh, excited to be back uh, this weekend and teaching uh, today. And so I, I love this new series that we're doing, Build. In fact, um, I was looking at, at the blueprints the other day when we put this out, and I think that this is the original blueprints of this building. And I think that um, some of you are still in the same seats that were drawn in here way back when. And so don't move. It's good. You're good. Stay where you are. But man, what an exciting time for us as a church to be building, to be rebuilding, um, as you've just heard the update about our, our uh, lead pastor search and, and what God is, you know, we're just prayerful what God is, is getting ready to do here. Today we're answering the question, what is worship? How does that affect us in our building? How do we rebuild with, with worship in mind? I, I'm reminded of when I was a young kid and my, pa my family packed us all up with about six other families. Everyone packed up their own camper or RV and we, uh, we, we convoyed uh, on a two-week journey out west. And one of our stops was Yellowstone National Park. And Yellowstone National Park is a, a geological hotbed, if you will, for, for hot springs and geysers and uh, just some really cool things to, to go and, and see. And, uh, and I remember the late the day before we had got into our camping spot with all these families and we made a big fire pit. We were all talking and dad said, hey, we all have to go to bed early because tomorrow morning we are going to go see Old Faithful. Now, the reason Old Faithful has the name Old Faithful is because it's pretty faithful, right? And so... In fact, they can time it. They can get the, it's an, it's an, you know, when the geyser goes, they can get it down to about 80 to 88 minutes in between each one is when they can time it out and know when the next one is coming. And they'll put a sign up uh, letting you know that. Well, the next morning we get up, and, and, and I don't know what I'm thinking. Like, after Dad explained this, I'm thinking, like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, the whole earth is going to open up, and, like, this water cannon is going to shoot to the moon. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. But, um, but anyway, so we got there with about 78 minutes to spare before the next, uh, the next launch, if you will, um, which was uh, way too much time. My parents, I probably drove them crazy. I wasn't very uh, patient as a small child. Um, but anyway, I just, I just remember taking it all in. We walked around, saw some other things around the boardwalk, and, and then it came time, and, 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 and steam and smoke started coming out of the ground, and water started to, to bubble up a little bit, and you could tell the time was getting closer, and people started coming in from the parking lot, running out of the, 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 the gift shops and, and nearby, and, and getting as close as they can. And then it got closer and more steam came out and got closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just erupted. And everybody had, had run and gotten in the best position they could to see this incredible, magical work of God, his handiwork. And this, this water shoots up to about 144 feet and lasts about, this goes on for about a minute, and mist is falling all over the place. And it's like, this is great. And uh, it, it didn't quite go to the moon like I thought it was going to, but, uh, but it was still really, really cool. In fact, everybody around us had this, this awe-inspiring look on their face, jaws dropping, eyes just wide out, cameras up, click, click, catching the moment, and uh, oversized video cameras uh, capturing the moment. And, and, uh, and so it was just this really, really cool thing. And then it, then it went back down into the ground and would be ready for the next group to see 88 minutes later. Now, when we walked away, we kind of walked away with a sense of reverence. People were talking about what they had just seen, what they had just witnessed. It was a spectacular uh, part of the, the hand of God. And they were in awe. They were, they were, uh, they were talking about it. They were, they were, everyone had different ways to describe it as they were walking away from that experience. 
we went into the gift shop and, and did some other things, but, but people just had this sense of, of, of reverence, almost like a worship quality, that they had just experienced something beyond themselves watching this act of nature. You know, sometimes I think about that as, as we do the same, as we get into to worship, what does that look like for us? That same dynamic occurs when we, you and I come to worship before God, that we should be experiencing something beyond ourselves, that we should be so motivated, so, so moved that we now go and tell what we have experienced to others as well. David writes in the 40th Psalm, has a similar experience where, where he has just seen God move. And he teaches and talks about that in Psalm 40. So I'm going to ask this morning, would you join, stand and join me as we read one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 40, here this morning. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud, and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who become involved in the falsehood. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is no one to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. You have not desired sacrifice and meal offering. You have opened my ears. You have not required burnt offering and sin offering. Then I said, Behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed good news of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, Lord. You know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your mercy and your truth from your great con congregation. You can be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So it seems like a, a daunting task sometimes to answer that question, what is worship? What should our worship look like? And before we see what David has to teach us in this passage, I would like for you to, to watch this video as we went around and asked some people in the City Beautiful what they thought worship was. What is worship? Uh, worship to me is the deepest, strongest connection, love, adoration, faith, trust, security, belief, complete trust in power of God. Religion, religion, I guess. I mean, that's what everybody thinks, right? Just like devoting yourself to something and like really having a lot of faith in it. Worship, friendship. I say to like appreciate like something. Surrender. Surrendering to God, you know. I mean, we putting him on top and we on the bottom, but putting him to the top when we worship. Um, family, people. People worship many things. Yeah. Tom Brady. Yes. He got his own fan glove. Yeah. He's getting worshiped. Sure. And he deserves it. So does God. 
to me means going to the church or praying in your house and praying for others, praying for the community and hoping that everybody can be kind with each other. I think worship is happiness, like 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 everyone is happy and like um, like everyone's in a good mood that they um, like like happiness. Worship is acknowledgement and worship is praise. The realization of the greater truth and acknowledging it and speaking it out loud and praising it. I mean, I think it used to have to be in church, and that was especially before COVID. I think since COVID, so many people are still so hesitant. So I kind of feel like we learn to worship wherever we are. It might be in the car. Oh, I do in I the car. We talked about that. Like, oh, oh, I do in the car. Like saying a prayer in the car, <laughs> yeah. right? Do you know I I'm writing this book? Do you know this called Stoplight Prayers? No. Everybody's busy. Everybody thinks they don't have time to pray, but really everybody does have time because everybody has to sit at a red light from time to time. And there are between 18 and 30 seconds, generally speaking, and that's plenty of time. Whew. I told you, don't get me preaching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How about that? Tom Brady got to mention today, huh? Hey, the next time you're sitting at a red light and the person in front of you won't move, don't you dare honk your horn because that lady might be praying for you. From these verses this morning, people have different, different definitions of what they think worship is, don't they? I mean, some people worship, we hear that term used sometimes when talking about athletes, when talking about performers and artists, inanimate objects even. This, this verse this morning, this passage this morning, it points us to two profound elements of worship. The first is celebration, more of a, a vertical dimension of our worship. And then second, proclamation, a more horizontal dimension of our worship when we gather together to, to come before God. Look, look at verse 3, what we just read, and, and see what David says. He says, first of all, David has experienced something here. We see that. We see that in his writing, that he has experienced it. God has rescued him. God has refreshed him. Look at verse 3, he says, He put a new song in, in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. See, David was exuberant in song. His praise was heartfelt in the sense that he could not be quiet any longer about what he was experiencing. He couldn't be, he couldn't be silent any longer about what he had just seen God do in his own life and around him. He had to shout and to sing. You know, the Psalms were meant to be sung. 68 times is, is singing mentions explicitly in the Psalms. It, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual expression of, of our soul. It's, it's, it's why we make a big deal about it here at Northland Church. In, in fact, if you, look, if you look at the blueprints, this, this building was designed to bring the attention to one thing, and it's not humanity. It's the object of our worship, which is God. Henry Longfellow said that the, the human voice was the organ of the soul. And it wasn't, we look at this verse and say, what, what song is David talking about? Well, it wasn't just any song. No, it was, it's, it was specifically a new song. David said, God has put a new song in my mouth. It was as if David is seeing something for the very first time again. You ever lost a, like a photo that meant a lot to you? You ever lost like a family keepsake or an, an ornament, something that 
that meant a lot to you and you, and you lose it and you just don't see it for, for months, maybe, maybe even years. Maybe you don't find it again until you get ready to move or you unpack some boxes or move them around or whatever. And all of a sudden, you, that, that, that thing becomes available to you again and you see it, whether it's a picture, an, uh, an object, something, and, and you just sit down and you think back. Your emotional connection, your spiritual connection, the memories come flooding back into your mind of what that means to you. This is what David, this is what David is experiencing here. It's like it's the first time alone. David's singing was praise-filled, for it was a new song. He's praising God for who he was and what he had done. Which leads us to the question. He was recognizing the source of his blessings in this moment. Do you do that? Do I do that? Do we stop to recognize, do we pause long enough to say, where do my blessings come from? Who is it that answers my prayers? Who is it? Who is the author of my blessings? Do we stop to recognize that? Think about this. It kind of leads to the next question. Would you continue to worship God if all of a sudden his miracles and his workings in your life began to diminish? Or is our worship to God based on what God can do for us? Is God still worthy to be worshiped if things don't go our way? If things don't go the way that we plan, if our agenda doesn't come to fruition, if we have to go a different path, do we still worship God for who he is, not for what he might do, not for what he can't do for us? I love what um, Francis Chan said in his book, Crazy Love. Several of you have probably read it. He says this. He says, many spirit-filled authors have exhausted the thesaurus in order to describe God with the glory that he deserves. His perfect holiness, by definition, assures us that our words can't contain him. Isn't it great to, work, to know that we worship a God that we can't exaggerate? Like, we just, we just can't. I started putting some thoughts together, and this is, this is what I came up with as far as the, our correct posture. A correct posture of our hearts in this vertical dimension of celebration is one that recognizes the object of that worship, which is God, as the highest power in everything in our lives not only resembles our devotion to it, to that higher power, but also surrenders itself to it. We worship God for who he is. It's what we say at the beginning of if people are hosting the services on the weekend. It's, it's, what they, it's how they welcome you into the building many times. They'll say, we're here today to worship God for who he is and what he has done. That's the outset of the beginning of our worship. The second element is the proclamation, the, ho or the horizontal dimension, if you will. Uh, look at, again at verse 3. We're looking at what David said. He says, many will see, that is, they will know who God is in that, in that time. They will, they will know God's presence, and they will fear. In other words, they will have reverence. They will be in awe of him and nothing less. And he says they will put their trust or find security. Do you know how many people are walking around, even with us, trying to find something to put their security in that won't disappear the next day? And, and David is writing this because of, because of this new song that has been placed, placed in his heart. Because God has, has rescued him. God has refreshed him. God has, has written a new song for his life. People are looking at him and they're seeing something different in him. And because of that, they also place their faith in Christ. Why? Because 
of the way that David worshipped them. They saw something different. You ever, you ever heard someone tell a story? And then later you think back, well, that's how the story was told, but, but I was a part of that story, and so it's actually kind of different. It just, it just has a different impact of hearing a story and actually seeing it. When, um, because of David's response, they, they were able to, to enjoy that. You see, David's joy before the Lord, that was his story. What is our story? What does our story communicate? Is, what, what does our lifestyle communicate? Is it joy? Are we coming here because we have to? Are we stopping to worship God because we, we have to or we are compelled to meet with our Creator? You know, at, at church, publicly, we worship. But it's not just here. It's about our lifestyle and what that holds. We worship together here. We worship corporately. We worship as individuals. And when the, the, the church worships, it also witnesses. It also tells the story. It, worship always includes witness. When people that are away from God see people, hear people that are, that are close to God, praising Him, they are compelled. They are moved. They are attracted by this to follow God. I think back to a situation where uh, this last spring we were on our way to a, a baseball practice and uh, it was a preaching weekend and it was the back end of the week and, and things were are a little amped up in, that, uh, in our lives when that's happening. And so um, I run home, we switch out cars, we throw baseball equipment in the back of the car and, and, and I I'm already, already know because we're like five minutes late already before we even leave my house. And so I already know how I'm going to have to drive through traffic on this 30-minute drive to get to the facility to, to get him to, to practice. And, and so I'm, I'm stressed. I'm thinking about the weekend. Everything's just kind of coming down all at one time. And, and uh, so, so knowing in advance how I'm going to, about to have to drive, I, we load the equipment in the back of the car. And I, uh, of course, do what any good dad pastor would do is I take the Northland magnet off my car and throw it in the back and close the door. Just kidding. I didn't really do that. But... But I just know it's going to be intense, and so we're driving down the road, and I'm in and out. We're trying to get there as quickly as we can, and, and my phone goes off, and I just let it go, and, and then finally I pick it up and look at it, and, and I don't know what I said or what, what, you know, what my look on my face, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden in the seat next to me, I hear, so, who is it that you don't want to talk to right now? Oh, man. Now it's damage control, right? Don't worry, it wasn't any of you, I promise. But here's what happened. In that moment, my son Jack definitely came to a conclusion about my response in the situation. He saw that I, the way that I responded to that situation, he had already concluded what my demeanor was towards it. And, and, and I look back and I see that as, as David is doing this, as David is, is worshiping before a holy God, that he's, he's writing that God is saying this, that other people are watching and other people are affected by that. Especially lost people are drawn to Christ through worship. 
Worship attracts. And this is what Paul said. Paul said, he told the Corinthian church to, to worship in such a clear way that if, if an unbeliever entered, he is convicted by all and is judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Jesus, in his own words, in, in John 12, says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And sure, while his words predict his death, it, it communicates volumes to us about worship. For when Jesus is lifted up in praise, when Jesus is lifted up in worship, it attracts people to him. David points out this evangelistic nature of worship, of honest, authentic worship. In Psalm 57, he says, I will, I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. When God's people experience the presence of God and we see the engagement in their lives and we see the life change that results, that's attractive to other people. That's attractive to a world who doesn't even know who God is. The world sits up, takes notice. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, years ago used to talk about it like this. He said, if, if the church was on fire for God, people for miles would come to watch it burn. What he means is if, if people, if, if God's people were, were if, if people on the outside could see God's people on fire as they worship, that like moths attracted to light, they would come. Think about that. I think about David, where he is. Because throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, it teaches us over and over again that, that God's, God's worship, a time where we, we celebrate in that vertical manner. We celebrate him for who he is and what he has done. That that is attractive. And because of that, th that proclamation then goes out. And it affects how you and I live each and every day. It affects who we go out and talk to. It, tells, it, it affects the stories that we tell based on what we've seen, based on what we've experienced. Many people are won to Christ by the leading of God's Spirit. You know, for someone who is an unbeliever and unchurched people who, who come into this worship service on a weekly basis or maybe they're for the very first time, they may not understand what's happening. They may not understand the lyrics of the songs that we're singing, and that's okay. They may not understand the, the, the meaning behind communion. They may not understand the deep commitment behind baptism. But here's one thing they do know. They know true joy when they see it. They know authentic worship when they hear it. They know life change when they see it. They know an affected story as it's told. David's saying this is the product of that worship. And if I could say this, is, it reminds me, is, I have to ask myself this question, I just want to step into this space with you as, as a parent. When I get ready for worship, what are my kids seeing? What demeanor is, is, am I giving them about what I think about worship, about what I think about who God is? My, my dad drove me crazy. He used to say, hey, are you, going, are you ready to go to church tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. He's like, going to church on Sunday morning starts on Saturday night. He was a coach, so that was just like coach speak, right? Like, yeah, 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 I know, Dad, I'm ready. What he meant was the decision to meet with a holy God and worship Him starts in preparation. And I wonder, what, what do my kids see? Do they see me coming to worship and getting ready to meet with the Father 
as something I'm just checking off a list, or do they see it? He said, I am ready. I am preparing my heart. This is a priority and importance in my life. See, the unchurched, the unchurched people, those who have not placed their faith in Christ yet, like our kids, they're looking and they're watching. They want to know that, is it, is it really authentic? Is this really something I can place my trust and my security in? Spiritually people, especially found people, are sent out to tell their story afterwards, to share Christ afterwards. We see this in this simple graphic that, can, that is going to be put up here. It's like that arrow on the left is, is people being drawn into worship because they see authentic worshipers worshiping something they've identified as a higher power, God himself. And from that, they are compelled to then, in proclamation, go out and to tell people about that person, the object of their worship. Worship produces three things, and these are, the, these are the three things that I want us to talk about in these next minutes or two. Number one is, is revelation. Two is transformation. And three is declaration. And I want us to look real quick look at three biblical examples of those three things. Revelation, transformation, declaration. That's the product of our worship. We look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, which is very interesting. Been in the news this week. Man, I love when God's Word makes it on CNN, right? Like, it gives us a chance as believers to step into that and to actually share context of what that verse and what that passage actually means. This was already part of my notes weeks ago, and so I just thought, I just started paying attention on social media this week. I was like, huh, Isaiah 6. We're quoting Scripture. Great. Let's get it out there. Gives you and I an opportunity to step into that moment. Take advantage of those opportunities. But here's what it really means. Isaiah 6, I, I want to point out, like, this is the revelation of God to Isaiah. And I'll, and I'll pull these things out, not the whole passage. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So he's seeing on the throne, lofty, exalted, with a train of his robe, filling the temple. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah is seeing something. He's hearing something. And then he, all he can do is respond in that moment. Isaiah is clearly in a, in a moment of worship before he is sent out. I think a lot of times before we're sent, we have to be in worship. We have, we have to be one. We have to be celebrating and proclaiming who God is in our life before we can be sent out. I often think, like, I wonder if, if Isaiah would have missed the calling God placed on his life if he not met in worship first. Second thing is, is transformation. This is from Matthew 28. It's the, that's right. We were just there two weeks ago. We were talking about the Great Commission, right? But I want you to see something in, in this context. The 11 disciples here traveled to Galilee, and they go to meet with Jesus. And when they see him, the Bible says that some worshiped him, some doubted. Some were all in, worshiping him immediately, recognizing who he was in their life. But there were some who were not there yet. This is what worship helps do. It helps transform you and I to become what God has called us to be. And you think about what happened in these guys' life after they left there. 
after Jesus ascended. The Great Commission, that's right, the, the commandment for us to go and to tell came out of a time of worship first. It's exciting. We've got revelation, transformation, and the third declaration. This is in Acts chapter 2. And, and we read from, um, we look and see how he's, he's describing this. On the, this is on the day of Pentecost. It was, a, it was the sound of, of eternal worship that's filling the upper room. Luke describes it as, it, as it's like a, a, the sound of a rushing wind, like something they had never heard before. And he goes on to say, he says, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? In fact, in fact, Jews of, of all nations came and they heard this and they thought, they thought the disciples had had too much to drink. Thought they were just blurring and blabbing and all this stuff was going on. But what was actually happening is that they were speaking of the magnificent acts of God that they had seen. And it, said, and it goes on to say that many trusted in the Lord that day. Something upwards of 3,000 came to know Jesus that day. The magnificent works of God were being celebrated in worship. You can almost say that these 120 disciples were in that moment, they were singing a new song that God had written into their lives. For they had seen him. Think back to this passage, Psalm 40. I came to this passage in, in a peculiar way back when I was in high school. I grew up in church. I, I knew what was, what was going on. I knew all the answers. I knew I was a part of things, but I wasn't sold that this was like the real deal yet. And at the time, I was listening to this band called U2. Maybe you've heard of them. And I was listening to this one album, and, and, I, and I heard this song, and I thought, that's interesting. And I asked someone about it, and I started researching it, and sure enough, the, the song came right out, of, right out of this passage. I was like, certainly not. I went to my, my youth intern at my church at the time, and I was like, check this out. And he was like, there's no way that's a U2 song. And I was like, check it out. It was. And that song led me to, like, I looked it up, I listened to the song over and over and over and over again, and I started understanding, like, what does it mean? And it made me search and find out where I was. And it wasn't until, you know, a few years later that God really got a hold of my life. But I really focused on that, that one part. You know, as, as the band comes out, they're going to they're gonna sing this song. And I want you just to reflect about where you are. Because in the moment, in those days, Rob wasn't at verse 3 yet where he was singing a new song that God had put on his heart. Rob was back in verse 2. It says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud, and he set my feet on the rock, making my footsteps firm. That's where I was living. That's where I was struggling, waiting for my footsteps to be firmed up by a holy God. And a few years later was when I began to understand verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. I don't know where you are today. I'm sure your story might be, you may have come to Jesus in a moment. During a season, over the, the course of years. But just remember, he put a new song in your heart. He has rewritten your story so that you can go and tell. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never asked God, hey, I, I want you to write a new song in my heart. I pray, I pray that today will be the day that you recognize that. 
that you recognize that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for you, that your story is written, that your new song is yours to be found, and he has found you, and he is ready to reach out his hand and to say, welcome home. As we sing this next song, maybe you've been here for long. Maybe you've been, a, been on this journey for some time like myself at this point. Maybe we have forgotten what worship is. Maybe it's become mundane, something we just check off. But I pray as the band sings this next song that you would just sit and reflect where you are. What is your demeanor of worship? Let's sing.